Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast. My name's Owen Bennett and joining me this week have Paul Wall, Graham Demony and Ned Simons. This is our EU focused podcast. If you don't want to hear about the EU, and you know, we all understand that, listen to the other podcasts we've released today. We'll talk about all the things that have also been going on in the political week. But after copious bags of Haribo and an English breakfast that got pushed back so far it became dinner, David Cameron finally secured his EU deal last week. Measures include an emergency break on in work benefit for migrants a reduction in the amount of child benefits that can go to children living in EU countries, the amending of treaties so that ever closer union does not apply to the United Kingdom, and the ability of the UK to enact an emergency safeguard to protect the City of London. While David Cameron hailed the deal as giving the UK special status in the EU, sceptics questioned whether it was even legally binding, let alone what impact it would have on sovereignty or migration levels. Justice Secretary Michael Gove wasn't convinced by the deal, and late last Friday, it was announced he was backing Brexit. Boris Johnson kept the media guessing until Sunday evening when he too revealed he'd be campaigning for the UK to leave the EU. This is a clip of David Cameron outside Downing Street revealing the date of the referendum. Three years ago, I committed to the British people that I would renegotiate our position in the European Union and hold an in-out referendum. Now I'm delivering on that commitment. You will decide... And whatever your decision, I will do my best to deliver it. On Monday, I will commence the process set out under our Referendum Act. And I will go to Parliament and propose that the British people decide our future in Europe through an in-out referendum on Thursday, the 23rd of June. The choice is in your hands, but my recommendation is clear. I believe that Britain will be safer, stronger, and better off in a reformed European Union. So, June the 23rd. Paul, talk us through a little bit of... of, We thought we were going to get a deal at one point last Friday, and then Cameron pulled it out of the bag at the last minute. Was it ever in doubt? Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, to be fair to number 10, you know, they they did a good job. They got probably as much as they could, you know, a lot of shuttle diplomacy beforehand, and the deal was pretty... Decent from number 10's point of view. You know, he got some secure uh, promises on migration, a bit on benefits. It's not going to shake the world. And he knew that when it came to the big uh, announcement that he made on the Saturday. You know, he w- what was significant about his Saturday announcement was he didn't really mention how wonderful the deal was. He, he did in passing, but he knew the big issues that most voters are, will care about is not how much he did or didn't get in some Brussels summit. It's what's going to happen to their security, what's going to happen to their income, what's going to happen to Britain's role in the world in this referendum. That's what you're voting, remain or leave. That's what it'll all come down to. And at the Cabinet meeting on Saturday morning, first time Cabinet's met on a Saturday since the Falklands, is that right, Paul? That's right. Um, after the meeting, Cameron comes out and addresses the cameras. And then out the back door, 
go the gang of six to a vote leave offices. And the gang of six are Michael Gove, uh, John Whittingdale, Priti Patel, Ian Duncan Smith, Chris Grayling, and Theresa Villiers. All household names. All household yeah. names. Um, and they obviously campaigning for, for Britain to leave. The big surprise for me was kind of Michael Gove, actually. Apparently, he's, he's this well-known Eurosceptic. That I'd never really, that never really come up on my radar. Maybe that's you know, my fault for not paying attention. But he never really seemed to give any speeches about it or write about it that much. But Michael Gove does seem to be quite an important figure in all of this. He has been a Eurosceptic for quite a long time. But there's, there's different classes of Eurosceptic, yeah. as we're finding out in this debate. There's you know, the headbangers, you, right? You, you, can, you can be a usual suspect, or you can be someone who's got real worries about Europe and, yeah. and its growing sort of federalism. And Gove was one of those. And he finally, you know, like, a bit like Boris, you know, he, he tipped over into finally making a decision because he felt, look, this is going in one direction and the only way to stop it is by, by Brexit. I'm always happy to stop one direction. <laughs> but um, Gove, um, I mean, we'll talk about Gove later, but obviously Boris was the big player that Cameron was really so, worried about. So Boris spends all weekend umming and ahhing, deciding what he's going to do, and then he finally comes out on Sunday and he, uh, this is what he says outside his house. Uh, I've decided after a huge amount of, of heartache because I did not want to do anything. I, I wanted, the last thing I wanted uh, was to go against uh, David Cameron or the government. But after a great deal of, of heartache, I don't think there's anything else I can do. I will be advocating uh, vote leave uh, or whatever the, the team is called. Many, I understand there are many of them. I, I think they're, they're, that, is, that is basically because I want a better deal for the people of this country to save them money and to take back control. That's really, I think, what this is all, uh, this is all about. So that was Boris there coming out for Brexit. And then he wrote an article in The Telegraph there, didn't he, which was quite bizarre because it, it kind of wasn't all that it seemed, this article. Yeah, and it sort of let Cameron have a massive go at him, didn't it? Because it kind of suggested he wanted to leave, but only to renegotiate a way back in, which he then kind of clarified and said that's actually not quite what I was saying. But it really kind of let a, kind of a slight opening for Cameron to really nail him in the comments, which I think was a bit of a mistake. I don't think he really realised that that's how it would be read. But with Boris coming out, that's made the referendum perhaps a bit more exciting. I can't really see, you know, four months of Chris Grayling and Theresa Villiers exciting the voters yeah. that much. I mean, um, on Sunday night when Boris did do this, you know, Sunday evening at five o'clock, it makes this big announcement on his doorstep. Then at 10 o'clock, this Telegraph article comes out and he does have a bit of a Vicky Pollard moment. It's true, you know, and even the people around him, even his friends were telling me this is a no but, yeah but approach, right? That, that was the message. So we say no, and then maybe in a second referendum we could get something better because Europe will be so spooked by so Britain it's leaving. Just a, it's just amazing to be sitting on the fence for that long and then come out for Brexit while still sitting still, on the fence. So the one bunch so on the fence. Yeah, so the rationale was this, is that you, you vote to leave, and then you go to Europe and you say that we want to leave, and then Europe go, okay, 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 what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? We'll give you anything you want as long as you stay, and you have another referendum. That's the, the logic. That was the, the logic, but the reality, right? but the reality is that under EU law, there's a thing called Article 50, and the Prime Minister made absolutely clear he was going to trigger it immediately the day after a no vote, and that means you've got to start the process of leaving the EU. It's not a negotiation about staying in; it's a negotiation about leaving. And Cameron, boy, did he really give him a kick in, in, the, in the comments. Let's have a listen to that because it was, it was something spectacular. And we should be clear that this process is not an invitation to rejoin, it is a process for leaving. Sadly, Mr Speaker, I have known a number of couples who've begun divorce proceedings, but I do not know of any who've begun divorce proceedings in order to renew their marriage vows. 
Graham and I, we were sitting in the Commons, weren't we? Looking, we were sitting so, we were so above Boris Johnson, we could see the bald spot, we, couldn't we? We weren't supposed to say that. We could almost touch him, couldn't we? And we could always got a bald spot. Boris has got a bald spot. I didn't know that. Yeah, breaking news. That's breaking um, news. And he was muttering to himself quite a lot during He was sitting with his arms crossed, his little pudgy belly. There was, a lot, there was a lot of head shaking, there was a lot of kind of muttered under his breath, rubbish, rubbish. Um, yeah. This is during Cameron's um, well, as, deal, as, yeah. as Cameron, and, and many of the other arguments were kind of flying around. The, the, the interesting uh, aspect of, the other interesting aspect of the Commons Exchange was how Cameron was, was was supported all the way with his 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 his, um, his arguments by the Labour benches. We we saw also on the other other side Ben Bradshaw slapping his thighs, slapping his thighs <laughs> at, at Big excitement. Style. Big Reed style. Big Reed style. More rubbing of the thighs. As, <laughs> as, as as Cameron took down uh, took down Boris in in some of those clips, and that and that's kind of an, an extraordinary moment. Well, well, Cameron's kind of Tories behind him looking a bit stony faced, a bit like Easter Island statues. The Labour benches. The Labour benches are, are absolutely thrilled. Well, by for this. ten years, Boris Johnson's been making slide digs, not very slide digs at Cameron, and sort of gently mocking his old friend. And you know, Cameron's been very sort of risen above it and laughed, and all the jokes are very funny. And it felt like on Monday it was like, Do you know what, Boris, this is what I've it's like. And he really went for him. And it's because the stakes are so high. I mean, that's the point. Don't. The, what are the stakes? The stakes are: Will David Cameron continue to be Prime Minister after June the twenty-third? You don't get stakes bigger than that. And all right, this is a problem of his own making. You know, as with the other you know, referendum, you know, he almost lost Scotland by accident. Will he lose the UK in Europe by accident? And a lot of people are worried about that. But I think the, the really, really significant thing about the moment, that great parliamentary excitement, that sort of electricity we all felt on Monday, was Cameron finally telling how it is to Boris in, this, in the, the chamber. Um, because it, it brought to a head years and years of, of this dynamic between the two of them. Now, what I think has been overblown completely is this idea that somehow Boris is a rival of Cameron's. You hear this phrase all the time. Can I just tell everyone to stop using the phrase that they are rivals? Cameron, Why are you looking at me? Cameron does not, <laughs> Cameron does not see it that way. They, at school, they were, they've always been th- two years apart, okay, three years apart. So they've With been, Boris being older. Yeah, Boris is in two years above him at, at Eton when Boris was the guy. Everyone looked at the scholar who, you know, everyone knew who he was. It was exactly the same at Oxford. No one knew who David Cameron was. And Boris was the Oxford Union president and he lauded it and he was a box office star just as he is now. But who is the cannier? Who became leader of the Tory party and who didn't? Who actually um, won a general election and who didn't? And it was Cameron who persuaded Boris to run for mayor in the end because he said he was at a loose end corner. Boris, we should do this thing. It's just, you know, we need some help. So I, I would stress all the time, Cameron doesn't view Boris as a rival. He views him as a, as a quite an irritating force who can screw things up for him. Like how but, I think of Graham. <laughs> but but don't think... But far superior in every way. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. Very similar comparison. Uh, apart from the fact that he's got more power than you. But... Oh, <laughs> Ooh, breaking <laughs> appraisal happening on air. Go on, but I think the break what, up of the Huffington Post but, podcast happening but right that's here. Why, but. That's why Monday mattered so much because of the first time actually Boris can become a rival in an equal sense because he can screw things up for Cameron in a way he's never been able to before. Will Will Cameron's words um, backfire though on him at all? As Owen and I, in, a, in an act of kind of, of, of uh, working together for once, we went to the 1922 committee, did we not, Owen? And, stu- and, stu- and stood outside. The 1922 committee is the Tory backbenchers. Um, Cameron addressed, addressed them immediately after the Commons. With his jacket off. 
with his jacket off. A uh, bit, of, bit of colour in our piece, wasn't there, about all the, all the detail. Um, but the interesting aspect was how um, afterwards we received a briefing, briefing from Steve Baker, a prominent Tory Eurosceptic, who was keen to emphasise to the journalists who were waiting on his, his, his every word, was that, please, David Cameron, be kind to he Boris. He actually used those words to Cameron. He, he yeah. used those... Be that. kind to Boris. So there's a sense that there's a sense among the Tory backbenchers who seem to be largely more Eurosceptic uh, in in the out than the, the Remain campaign at the moment. We're not, we're not, the, the numbers are still coming in, but it, it, it could go it could go that go that way. There, there seems to be a bit of blowback for Cameron and what, and what he yeah the, I think the, the way the way he took down a Boris. lot of Tory MPs felt he went too far. And he was a bit nicer when he was in Slough doing a rally, wasn't he? His he, campaign he, he pulled it back bit, a, he was a bit nicer. That leads us to this week's quiz. Uh, oh, no. which is called Blonde Bombshell or Blonde Buffoon. <laughs> right. I'm going to read you out a quote, and you've got to tell me whether it was said by London Mayor Boris Johnson or Marilyn Monroe. Excellent. <laughs> That's Excellent. awesome. This is why we pay you, all right? right? I'm not going to use the famous one about what I wear in bed, Chanel number five, yeah. because you all know that. Is it happy birthday, Mr. President? In <laughs> yeah, <there? laughs> yeah. Just stop looking at my notes. Okay, right. ready? So it's Blonde Bombshell <laughs> yeah. if it's Marilyn. Yeah. All right? There is absolutely no one Apart from yourself, who can prevent you in the middle of the night from sneaking down to tidy up the edges of that hunk of cheese back of the fridge? That's Boris. <laughs> That's that Boris, Boris or Marilyn? Oh, I'm going to go for Marilyn. What is, is the Boris or Boris phrase we uh, use? Blonde buffoon. Blonde buffoon. Blonde buffoon. Blonde bombshell. It is blonde buffoon. That was Boris. <laughs> I've actually read that line before. Why? What was the context? That's research. Why, that? okay. Why is that making you context? Yeah, true. It's true. As I have discovered myself, there are no disasters, only opportunities, and indeed opportunities for fresh disasters. Oh, that's so Marilyn. Blonde I think, yeah, it's I think that's it be, Marilyn. Yeah, it's more I philosophical think... than Boris. But... Yeah, Boris. No, I think that's Blonde deep. Bombshell. Blonde bombshell. No, Blonde Buffoon, that was Boris as well. Oh. Yeah. See what he did? I have always had a talent for irritating women since I was 14. Yeah, that's got to be Marilyn. Blonde bombshell. Yeah. Blonde bombshell. Yeah, Marilyn. Yeah. That, is, that is Marilyn Monroe. I learned to walk as a baby and I haven't had a lesson since. <laughs> very good. Yeah. It's very funny. Um, Marilyn. Marilyn. Well, let's give Marilyn a bit of credit. Maybe well, Alton. Maybe I'll Alton. Boris, just did, to be different. It was Marilyn. Did, did Alton Miller write that it line was, for I've, I've, I've slept with far fewer than 1,000. <laughs> That's Boris. <laughs> I remember. Boris's GQ interview. Boris's GQ interview, oh. I think that is. Sorry. Right, Paul's not involved in this quiz anymore. Is that right? Was it Boris? Um, yes, it was Boris. Well done. Face it, it's all your own fat fault. Boris. I don't know. Marilyn, blonde bombshell. Let's go for blonde bombshell, Marilyn. It was blonde buffoon, Boris. Ah, there you go. And finally, I'm good, but not an angel. I do sin, I'm not the devil. Marilyn, blonde B- bombshell. bombshell. Blonde bombshell. said it with a bit of sort of respect. So. <laughs> <laughs> you think I don't respect Boris Johnson? Yeah, I think it's Marilyn. Blonde it is bombshell. Marilyn. So there we are. That was this week's quiz. Enjoy that? It's all right. The quiz on the other podcast is probably a bit better this week. Yeah, so, in. Turn the tape over. Turn the tape over when you hear the noise. Okay, um, so it wasn't just obviously Boris Johnson who came out for Brexit. We mentioned that it was Michael Gove. Now, Michael Gove brings, I think, a degree of intellectual weight to the argument. He's not seen as a headbanger. I know he, some people don't think he's very popular in the country, certainly with teachers. But I think his unpopularity is overrated. 
Graham, what do you think of Michael Gove? Is this somebody who can help persuade um, undecideds to vote leave? Yeah, I think maybe the kind of thinking man or woman who uh, wants some, some persuasive arguments. Uh, M- Michael Gove is the person to deliver them. If you compare um, his think piece on why he's... Uh, backing Brexit compared to Boris's. Um, it made sense, didn't it? Michael Gaves was made sense, and, and, and if you looked at it objectively, you could you could feel yourself kind of nodding, regardless of kind of which side of the, the, the fence you are, you could feel yourself kind of nodding along. I can see the intellectual argument behind that. Whereas mm. Boris's one was a bit all over the place, as as discussed. We weren't quite sure what the conclusion was, was of it. And I think... In, in fact, you could say that Boris and uh, Gove kind of complement each other quite quite well. Boris does the kind of reaching part, of the the well the overused phrase, he's a politician that reaches parts that others can't, the kind of Heineken motif. Um, whereas, whereas Gove is probably playing a slight, slight, slightly different level. You say, he's I'm a not... fine claret instead. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, it's a Heineken to claret, well, yeah. Do you get so, claret in Bordeaux? Because he likes the vineyards of Bordeaux, we learned from his wife's column this week. I don't, I don't want to correct you on that, Owen. Am I wrong? <laughs> no, go on. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so I, so I think I think Gove will, will play a, an important role, a, a slightly different role to, to, to what Boris does. Is there a point with Gove that even... I don't think he is that popular, actually, but it's an argument in as much as the deal... North London metropolitan elite. Though, true, that is tr- absolutely true. You live in Islington. Is there a case that... As much as the deal matters, which I don't think it matters that much in terms of the wider arguments, but what Gove can perhaps do is kickstart an argument, even if it's not the one who ends <laughs> up that, delivering yeah. it. So, for example, the argument over whether it's legally binding or not, he can start that debate, and then other people who maybe connect better, that becomes the topic of conversation around the referendum for a day. But not from him himself, but he can has the kind of intellectual weight to start the conversation. Gove, Gove is this guy who gives credibility to yeah. some of the some of the arguments, and he can it can start that sort of water cooler bit where actually is this can, can we legally do what Cameron says? Uh, well, this guy he's got a big brain the size of a planet, says he can't blah. So it does start that. However. I do think Michael Gove himself, the way he appears on TV, his reputation amongst floating voters is dire. That, let's be honest, that's why he was dumped as education secretary. His best friend, or one of his closest friends, David Cameron, decides, look, I can't, this guy's so toxic, he's doing me damage in the run-up to the general election. I've got to dump him and get someone else, because he's as annoying teachers and parents. Now, don't forget all of that. That's really important. Now, I don't think Cameron's going to use any of that against him in this campaign, because they're still friends, they want to be friends. The difference here with comparing it to Boris, is that they are really friends. Cameron and Boris aren't friends, and Cameron and Gove are. But, and I've said this before in a previous podcast, there's still this sense on Gove's part that actually doesn't quite fit the the sort of Cameroon set. You know, he'll go on holiday with Cameron's, they were at his wedding, all this stuff. But yet, at the end of the day, he's some people who are close to Gove think he's used a bit like a performing dog by the Cameron. That actually, he's the smart guy, he's smarter than Cameron, he can, he can do his arguments for him, but when it push comes to shove, actually, he's a bit dispensable. I don't know how he always asks Jack in the newsroom to name famous people's birthdays, just because we know he can. <laughs> what do you think to the idea the that, um, in the Telegraph this morning, that Gove's going to lose his job? Do we believe that I mean, at all? Well, number 10, I've stumped on it very heavily, and I think it's baloney. Um, I mean, what Cameron's big task, if he wins, is to bring the party together after this referendum. There's no way he's going to do that by getting rid of Gove, and I, I can't see that happening. The interesting question is, has Boris done himself any damage in terms of being brought into a big job after this referendum? I don't know. The jury might be out on that. Um, but Cameron, don't forget, recognises he's a smart guy. He's like Bush. He recognises who's a winner on his team and who isn't. And he knows Boris is a winner. He really does know that. 
Uh, speaking of Boris, who could potentially succeed Cameron as Prime Minister, that leads us on to nicely to Graham's stat of the week. Jingle for that. That. There's still the jingle. No, no jingle that. that, is, this, that is, we're doing two that. podcasts this week. <laughs> we haven't time to fit in a jingle. You can, can you bring in a guitar? You know, just, yeah, I don't just like to show off. kind of single strum of a chord. Just get on with it. Get on with it. Um, stat of the week. Of the UK's 53 Prime Ministers to date, 19 were educated at Eton College, 7 at Harrow, and 6 at Westminster School. Which one did you go to? Oh, you know, those, uh, right. All of them. You went to, well, you <laughs> went to all of those Expelled schools? Expelled from all of them? Busy. Right. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Um, eight Prime Ministers went to non-fee-paying schools. These include all five Prime Ministers to hold office between 1964 and 1997. And I don't need to say who they, who they are. We all know who they are. You know who that's they are. Great. Wilson, Heath, Callaghan, Thatcher and Major. Lovely stuff. That's a great stat, Graham. Lovely stat. <laughs> a great stat. Stat of the week. Um, David Cameron went down and launched the Conservatives in campaign last week. Lots of people waving placards, wearing T-shirts. Uh, we had, I caught up there with Transport Secretary Patrick McLaughlin to ask him what it'd be like facing friends on the different sides of the campaign. No, I think look, there are issues uh, that we all disagree on uh, on occasions, and the Prime Minister has been uh, very open and very frank in allowing Cabinet Ministers to have a, a, a flexibility from collective responsibility on this issue. But uh, I and Duncan Smith, Chris Grayling, Michael Gove agree fundamentally on the way in which the government is operating. They've got a different view to uh, the way they see our role in the world than I've got. That was... Patrick McLaughlin there. Now, that was not the only rally that I went to this week. I also went to the Grassroots Out rally last week. Yes, as Cameron was crossing the T's and dotting the I's on the deal, the rally was held in the heart of Westminster. Tory MPs Peter Bone, Tom Purslove and David Davis were joined by Labour MP Kate Hoey and economist Ruth Lee. But the big reveal was former Respect MP George Galloway, whose appearance prompted some of the audience to walk out and some to give them a standing ovation. Um, here is a clip of uh, someone who walked out of the um, rally because of Galloway and his reasons for doing so. <laughs> it's rather obvious, isn't it? He's a despicable person. In what, in what, in what, what do you think about despicable? Anti-Israel, anti-supporting well, uh, terrorist organisations, supporting Hamas, supporting Hezbollah. He supported, you know, famously said, I salute your indefatigability to Saddam Hussein. And do you think that having him involved with this organisation, Grass was out, damages the Eurosceptical? Certainly, yeah, certainly. So George Galloway on a stage in Nigel Farage. Is that the Remain camp's wet dream, really? Because they just go, this is brilliant, everyone's going to vote to Remain because no one wants to be associated with them. Of course it was on the night. On the night, I mean, it looked like, my God, they can't do anything worse than this, can they? Um, and not forgetting, of course, as, as Graham reported this week, that David Icke has come out for Brexit as well. So, you know, it looks like at that stage, the loony fringe are going to be the face of the out campaign. But this, of course, was all before Gove, before Boris, before the intellectual and yeah. popular arguments that were rolled out over the weekend. So it's slightly, you know, skewed by that. But on the night, boy, did the, the in-camp think, God, the Christmas has all come true. Yeah. But who, who, who is going to cut through in this? Who, what, what kind of public figures are going to make a difference in this? I mean, we're getting to, we're getting to a stage where we're just talking about politicians the, the whole time. But, but you know, who, who, which politicians do people really know? David Cameron, Boris Johnson. Who do you think, Owen, might be somebody who would reach out beyond the Westminster bubble? You know I'm so glad you said that, Graham, because this yeah. week I interviewed money-saving expert Martin Lewis who in a survey last December was found to be the most trusted person on the EU issue. 
by the public, and his opinion carries a lot of weight because he's seen as he's seen as non-partisan. He's seen not to have an axe to grind either way. I spoke to him. Now he is was very keen to get across. He's not backing a campaign yet. However, he is probably fifty-five to forty-five for staying in the EU. And the point that he made is that it all comes down to whether you are risk averse as a person, because if you're risk averse, then you might not see a problem with leaving the EU. But if you don't like taking risk, inherently that leaving the EU there is a risk. Now he says that risk might be might pay off massively. We might become a thriving tiger economy, is the word he used. Outside of the EU, we might have cheaper air flights to America because we we'll secure better deals, all that kind of stuff. Or it could all go completely wrong. We could enter a period of, of economic stagnation and people, we could lose investment. He simply didn't know. But one of the points that he made, which I think was, I think will be echoed by millions and millions of people, is that when politicians decide whether they're going to be in or out, they then immediately reject every single argument from the other group. And that's just not right. You know, th- this is a complicated issue and we don't know things and there are benefits to going out, there are benefits to staying he, in. He used a choice phrase, didn't he, Owen? I, I think the phrase used were, it's bollocks. Yes, I think that's, that's right. Right. Thing, yeah. right. Yeah. And this is, this, this is probably the danger of politicians getting involved is it will, it will put people off, it will turn people off. Yeah. But I suppose at some point they regardless have to make a decision, don't they? Well, that's why David Cameron, of course, the best thing he can do, and he didn't do this over his... his EU summit uh, triumph or non-triumph. The best thing you could do as Prime Minister is say, hold your hand up and say, look, I haven't got everything I wanted, but I've got a pretty good deal. And hold his hand up and say, actually, the outcome do have, Boris and Michael Gove do have some yeah. you know, points that are, are worth listening to. But when push comes to shove, I think on balance, like Michael, uh, your, your chap, money-saving expert, Martin, uh, Lewis, yeah. Martin Lewis, on balance then yeah, let's stay in, because it's just a bit too risky. Now that's the sort of mature, grown-up debate that people want to hear. Whether they'll hear it, I don't know. You've seen him doing it a little bit, haven't you? Kind of say, you know, we'd be great still outside the EU. But particularly I think it was interesting in that rally he did, again in Slough, where he kept reminding everyone that he's Prime Minister. You're going to see that so much. It's a bit of a dig at Boris, isn't it? Because it's like, he's not Prime Minister. He hasn't had to deal with security threats I've had. He hasn't seen what I've seen. And he kept saying, you know, in maybe six years ago, ten years ago, I was more Eurosceptic. Having been in power and seen the threats we face, I realised we need to be part of the EU. He couldn't stop saying the phrase as Prime Minister. We hear that, well, that so that's much. What, I mean, Labour's been cut out of this debate. You know, Labour are almost silent on this debate. It's portrayed as a Tory debate. But um, there's two things there. One is... You know, a lot of people in the Labour Party think it's a supreme irony that David Cameron and George Osborne, who spent their lives flirting with Euroscepticism, uh, when push comes to shove, reality of power means you can't leave the European Union. It's got so many benefits, and you, you can flirt and play games with Euroscepticism in the backbenches, but when the chips are down, you've got to stay in. And now they're the ones who are having to make that case. And a lot of people in the Labour Party think it's quite funny, but other people in the Labour Party think, hold on, you know, like Alan Johnson, we've got to really connect with our voters, we've got to turn them out because Cameron's not going to turn our voters out. And that's why I think the, the grassroots rally actually, on balance, although it was ridiculed on the night, it's quite a smart tech to have someone like um, uh, Galloway on your side because he does speak to Asian voters. He does speak Absolutely. to left-wing Absolutely. voters. He speaks to people way, that won't listen to Nigel Farage. In a way that Cameron and yeah. Corbyn don't. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And what's interesting about Cameron's tactics is in 1975, the last referendum, Harold Wilson, who was the then Prime Minister, very much stayed away from all of this. He brought the deal back. He didn't really get involved in campaigning. Gave a few speeches. You know, said, well, I want Britain to stay in, but he didn't get involved in the nitty-gritty. David Cameron looks like he's going to get involved. He was at the rally last night because he was in. He looks like he's going to be very much putting the case forward. It's a very different tactic to Harold Wilson. I don't know if anyone cares about that, but I just 
thought I'd say it. Anyway, thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you want to hear the non-EU podcast where we talk about such things as the phenomenon that is Donald Trump, then please download and have a listen. If not, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.